With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 91st episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, PodTopin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, and then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my listeners throughout the world. I truly do appreciate you, and I love seeing all the different locations throughout the world that you're tuning in from, and I certainly do hope that you're all doing well. My September Privacy Professor Tips message was published on August 31st. Go ahead and sign up for them. I've provided them for free since 2005, and I've been archiving them since 2007, and I started creating them in an effort to increase general awareness of data and cybersecurity and privacy issues, but also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees because, unfortunately, training and awareness typically does not get enough funding. So you can use this to help raise awareness uh, with your employees. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of the screen. And now we are also providing free ebooks and flipbooks and awareness videos through our privacysecuritybrainiacs.com site. So you can get them from there and sign up for notifications about those from privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. So I want to start out with a little uh, history lesson for you. Do you realize how long malware has been in existence and being spread in a very wide variety of ways? I anticipate for many of you, you might not realize that it's gone way, way back. Well, let's briefly think about this. The first computer virus was created by BBN Technologies in 1971. And it was in the U.S. And it was called the Creeper System. And this was a self-replicating virus. And it filled up the hard drive until the infected computer was inoperable. So it was a type of denial-of-service virus. So then fast forward 
through other types of new viruses and malicious computer code. Let's go up to the late 1980s. The late 1980s was actually when criminals first started holding encrypted files hostage in exchange for cash. Did you realize that? The first ransomware. But the cash was sent through the U.S. Postal Service. And one of the first ransomware attacks ever documented was the AIDS Trojan computer virus. And it was released via floppy disk in 1989. If you were a victim, you would have needed to send 190 or excuse me, $189 uh, to a, a P.O. box in Panama to restore access uh, to the systems. And they'd send you a disk back, and, and then you'd use that to decrypt your files. Now, fast forward through many other types of malicious computer viruses and worms to 1992. And this was at the early stages of my career, And I actually designed and established the first implemented organizational antivirus program on record, and it was for a Fortune 500 corporation. Why did I do this? Well, because at that point in time, Michelangelo, the Michelangelo virus, that is, um, it was called, I remember they called it the master of disaster. And it was a huge concern back in 1992 when corporations were being warned that their computer hard drives would be trashed when they turned on their computers and Michelangelo would then be activated on the artist's 517th birthday. And back then, virus infections uh, occurred largely through hard drives sold by PC stores and through infected disks sold by software companies or also by folks selling, um, you know, illegal software. But it also happened through SneakerNet. And if you don't know what SneakerNet is, that's when people loan each other their disks and they get malware on them and then they start spreading unbeknownst to the people sharing with each other. Fast forward now through many other types of computer viruses and many other types of ransomware and malware to today when computer viruses worms, ransomware, and other malware, they're proliferating like crazy, more than ever before. And they are infecting all types of computer devices. And ransomware crooks are also proliferating, and they're taking down Fortune 50 businesses. They're taking down huge hospital systems. They're taking down tens of thousands of small city government systems. I mean, I grew up in a a very rural area of Missouri, and I still have a lot of relatives and folks I know down there. Two of their small city um, governments, uh, the abstract offices of all things, in both of these small cities were hit with ransomware just uh, in August. And the cyber, the, the ransomware crooks, they're being paid millions of dollars, and today they're usually paid in Bitcoin, right, for ransom. That's what everybody's been hearing about, the Bitcoin being paid for ransom. Did you realize also that uh, in the first six months of 2021, there were 304.7 
million ransomware attack attempts that have occurred, and it made it made 2021 the worst year ever recorded to date for ransomware attacks. And that's just in the first six months. My goodness, what are we going to have for the remainder of 2021? Just a few weeks ago, in August of 2021, cybersecurity consulting firm Accenture was a victim of a ransomware attack by the ransomware group Lockbit, and they demanded $50 million in ransom. Now, throughout the recent history of malware, organizations have depended heavily upon cyber insurance to cut their losses. But the ransoms are just becoming so huge You know, I wonder sometimes, are cyber insurers going to start changing the conditions for which they provide such insurance? Can cyber insurance requirements actually change and possibly improve the cybersecurity practices within organizations who get the cyber insurance? And and what else does cyber insurance cover beyond malware? Well, I am so happy to have on my show today one of the leading experts for this topic, Judy Selby. Judy is a partner in the New York office of the Kennedy's Global Law Firm. Judy specializes primarily on insurance coverage matters and represents clients in all phases of large-scale complex first and third party insurance issues. Judy has extensive experience handling insurance coverage trials in the U.S. and international arbitrations in London. Judy's practice concentrates on coverage for exposures coming out of emerging technology, digital, and compliance risks. Judy serves as a coverage and monitoring uh, monitoring counsel for cyber insurers and also counsels the insurers themselves on cyber insurance product development, policy wordings, and silent cyber issues. Judy was named as a 2021 insurance trailblazer by the National Law Journal, and Judy won J.D. Supra 2021 Reader's Choice Awards in insurance, the number one rated in that category, and many, many other awards. Uh, See much more about Judy on her bio that's posted with my Voice America page for this episode. Judy, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is your very busy schedule to be my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thanks so Thanks much, Rebecca. I'm excited to be here. Well, there's so much to cover, and I know I follow you on LinkedIn, and you just have such great information out there available uh, that you're posting all the time. I thought we could maybe talk a little bit for our listeners because I have a. I'm happy to have a very wide diverse uh, group of listeners from those who aren't from IT to those who maybe know a lot about IT. And I have students in high school and colleges as well listening. So I'm wondering if you can maybe um, explain, give a high level overview. What are the different types of cyber assurance, cyber insurance that businesses do have available to them? 
You know, that's a great first question. Uh, that's a great way to start. Uh, unlike many other forms of insurance that businesses routinely buy, there are no standard forms for cyber insurance. Um, each insurer has its own policy form, and those forms um, are, you know, kind of proprietary to the insurance company. They, they can change them, and they do. Some change them fairly frequently. And uh, sometimes there are what we call manuscripted policies. Um, typically, uh, that would be with, in connection with a very large enterprise, and they would work directly with the insurer and the broker and kind of craft a policy from scratch covering what, uh, you know, what, what that company needs for uh, cyber coverage. So, um, you know, having said that, though, there are some things that are, you know, pretty typical that we see in cyber policies. And um, I can get into what those coverages are, Rebecca, if, if that's a good time to do that. Yeah, that would be great. First, a quick question, though, because I I started out at a really large financial and health insurance company. And one of the things that I, I uh, was involved with, I got my fellow Life Management Institute or FLIMI um, uh, certificate, and that included actuarial. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. as I think about cyber insurance, I think about what kind of actuarial tables do they, where are they getting them from? Because I know for other parts, like you were saying, they they don't have typical, you know, forms of, you know, maybe I'll let you, I'll pass it over to you to explain some of that because it's kind of confusing sure. to me you know, how they can offer cyber insurance without having a long history of cyber yeah and that's um you've hit on an important an important issue the um uh, unlike a lot of other types of coverage cyber insurance is relatively new but the other complicating factor is the the cyber threat landscape um, and the risks at issue are not static. You know, they keep evolving, whether it's on the cyber cyber side in terms of threats and, you know, threat, threat uh, attack vectors and different modes of attack and, and, and other exposures, cyber exposures having nothing to do with an attack. Um, and the privacy side, which is, you know, coming out of new laws and regulations that, that you know, seem to be, it seems like almost every day there's um, a new law passed or uh, proposed somewhere in our country, plus around the world. You know, so many companies are multinational now. Everybody's doing business across borders. Mm-hmm. And we saw today, for example, that um, a new data protection law was approved in China. And so all of these things are creating a very dynamic um, risk and threat landscape that the companies and the insurers have to deal with. So I think that companies are getting better data now, or, you know, over the past, you know, 10 years or more on, on kind of regular data breaches. But it's these newer exposures now, um, especially around ransomware, ransomware combined with uh, different types of uh, cyber attacks, uh, which are creating this issue where, you know, we don't have that good data. And so it makes it hard for carriers to, you know, evaluate the risk um, 
and to uh, appropriately price. It's, it's become much more challenging to appropriately price. I think it's in everybody's interest to maintain a, a viable, strong cyber insurance marketplace. And in order for that to happen, you know, the insurers can't be losing money, you know, year on year uh, because of claims they're paying out. So, you know, we've seen adjustments to the pricing, especially over this past year. Uh, that's reflective of what's happening in the marketplace. And, um, and you know, I think unlike a lot of other types of insurance, I think it's going to be like this for a while with cyber because if you think about property insurance, for example, yeah. you kind of know what will start a fire, you know, in the warehouse yeah. and, and how to deal with it. So they, they look to make sure exits aren't blocked and that they have the right number of fire exits, that they have sprinklers and alarms and all kinds of things. That's harder to do in the context of cyber and privacy exposures because things are changing so rapidly. So I think we're going to go through quite a time of flux which will be challenging for the insurers. And one one aspect of all of this that's very important from the from the standpoint of the insurance companies is this issue of aggregation. Uh, so if you if you hear about uh, a software vulnerability uh, such as um, uh, SolarWinds that that mm-hmm. has the potential to impact thousands and thousands of companies. So if you're an insurance company. You may have diversified your your risk by insuring a certain number of entities in different industries. So maybe a certain number in retail, a certain number in healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. if you find out everybody's using that same software where the vulnerability was just um, identified, uh, the insurer is looking at a risk that could potentially impact all their, almost all their policyholders. Uh, or if you think about, you know, God forbid if something happened with one of the major cloud providers. Uh, so that aggregate risk for the insurers is is very serious in addition to the risk, you know, vis-a-vis each individual policyholder. Yeah. And as you describe that, I'm thinking aggregate risk. So if you know that, like you use SolarWinds for an example, but any type of product that is, you know, used um, inherently by almost everyone with computers, when, when that's discovered, do then the cyber insurance companies, do they update like their actuarial tables or, or do they um, instead maybe say, oh, we're going to raise your rates unless you implement these certain types of protections to make sure that you are less likely to be um, impacted by something like this? I mean, how do they react to such widespread threats like that? Well, there has been an effort um, even before, you know, some of the more recent developments, including solar winds that have captured everybody's attention. But there has been an effort on the part of many insurers, and I can't speak for all the insurers. Um, there, there, there's quite a few, and, and everybody does things their, their own way. But um, a lot of insurers do take some time during the underwriting process to try to get a handle on uh, what vendors 
their insureds are using, and um, and then uh, you know which which of those vendors are considered critical, and try to incorporate that into you know the underwriting process. I uh, at least on an individual uh, level, but hopefully on an aggregate level as well. But what we've seen over the past, um, let's see. Uh, Almost a year now, not quite a year, is a transition from what what used to be called a soft market for cyber insurance, meaning it was probably a little bit more buyer-friendly. Um, uh, pricing was lower, and uh, it was a little bit more of a competitive marketplace. We've swung now to what we call a hard market. Where um, you know coverage is is um, you know getting getting capacity, meaning getting the the level of limits you want uh, may be more difficult. Um, we're seeing insurers take a much harder look at companies in the underwriting process, particularly around ransomware. Um, some some insurers are using uh, supplemental applications now to try to drill down on companies. Um, Practices and procedures that would be relevant to that risk, and uh, you know, seeing what controls are in place, and and um, you know, just the, the, how the company is operating, and um, you know, all of those types of things that will impact you know the potential of this company being um, you know being at risk for a cyber event. Yeah. So when they do that. Do they basically leave it up to the applicant for the cyber insurance to provide, you know, to, to fill out the, the form and cl- check the box and say, yeah, I've got policies, I do training, I do risk assessment, I encrypt data, blah, blah, blah. Or do they have to get like an independent uh, third party to audit them or maybe does the insurance company have someone who goes on site? to do an evaluation or is it just kind of a mixed bag? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty much a mixed bag. I, I, I don't know that there's a lot of kind of um, internal, um, I, I don't know that insurance companies are actually going into the, into the enterprise and going into the computer system and seeing what's going on. I'm not, you know, I can't speak to what it was going on in every situation, but I'm not too aware of that um, happening. I think it's a lot of reliance on disclosures from the insured, either, um, you know, uh, as you said, in an application or in uh, for larger insured. Sometimes it's it's underwriting meetings where your uh, you know, representatives of the company are having meetings with with underwriters and they're having a discussion about what the company's practices are. And if it's a renewal situation, the insurer kind of knows that already. Now, Mm -hmm. some insurers, um, uh, I know there are some kind of more, uh, they're referred to as insure tech, um, very, very uh, technology heavy uh, insurers that have been becoming a little bit more prevalent um, over the past few years. Some of them will, as, as as part of the um, the underwriting process and evaluation of, of the potential insured, they'll do a, a scan of the dark web and see if they oh. can find the the anything any of the company's data kind of floating around there. Um, but that's external, and they actually then provide that as an ongoing service for the company during the term of the insurance policy. 
Mm. So that that can be a nice benefit for companies, especially small businesses, small and maybe some mid-sized businesses that really don't have the technical or um, technical savvy or the financial resources to do that on their own. So it's it's kind of a mixed bag. As I say, I'm not I'm not familiar at this point with. Um, uh, insurance companies getting access into the internal network of insureds. And there's reasons for that, Um, you know, because they are, they are a different company. So, um, but, um, but, but the, the scrutiny definitely has, has increased over the past year, the scrutiny of the potential insured and that, and, you know, how well a company does in, in terms of how they present themselves as a risk. It will impact what coverages will be available to them and the the limits available to them and, of course, the premiums. Oh, I would imagine. Um, what are a few of, and we have a break coming up in, in three minutes, but before we get to that, I'm wondering maybe what are some of the variables or uh, considerations that insurance companies look at when somebody's coming and and applying for cyber insurance. I mean, past breaches or incidents or oh, sure, yeah, yeah. You know your your history, your your history of losses, your knowledge of situations that could give rise to a loss, even though you haven't had it yet. Uh, you're kind of aware that something happened and it could turn into a claim or a situation. But you know they they will look at. Um, uh, like the number of servers the company has, their geographical footprint, you know, literally where they're sitting. Um, uh, some, some, some attention will be paid, as I mentioned before, to the you know, third-party vendors. But the types of information the company has, you know, uh, some companies, you know, have more sensitive data, which would have more risk. What we've seen over the past couple of years, though, is that, you know, the, the type of data you have isn't... Um, uh, you know, a guarantee that you will or will not get impacted. Everybody's at risk now, for sure. But um, uh, they'll also look at the controls. Um, you know, are you using multi-factor? Uh, you know, these kinds of base cybersecurity types of you know basics. What kind of training do you have? What kind of um, specific employees does the company have? Do you have a Do you have a CISO? Do you have a, a chief privacy officer? Um, you know, things things along that line. They they may ask questions about, uh, uh, you know, your processes around termination of employees and um, kind of vetting vetting potential employees. So it's a really you know some of these applications are an excellent uh, kind of cybersecurity and 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 to some degree privacy mm-hmm. checklist, like a best practices checklist. Yeah, well, I want to um, start around there after our break. Uh, But right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm speaking today about cyber insurance with Judy Selby, partner at Kennedy's New York office, expert in cyber insurance and multi-award winner for her many achievements. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as other types of show topic suggestions. You can use my email, Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today about cyber insurance with Judy Selby, partner at Kennedy's New York office, expert in cyber insurance, and multi-award winner for her many achievements. And Judy, before we went to the break, you were talking about even how the uh, cyber insurance folks look at your practices with employees and how uh, your practices when they leave an organization and, you know, kind of related to that, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk, uh, expand a little bit more about what they're looking at there. And if they, if they consider too, if you're outsourcing like to cloud services and, and cause those are kind of like employees only, there's a different legal relationship there, right? So, yeah, maybe you can uh, cover some of those ex-employee issues and then what you need to know about getting cyber insurance as it relates to the things that you've outsourced to others. Yeah, the, um, you know, as I was saying before, there are no really standard practices across the board, but I, I do know that some insurers will look into you know, your your policies and practices around, um, uh, you know, hiring, you know, make, you know, do you do, they'll ask maybe, do you do background checks of employees um, before hiring them? Um, do you uh, terminate their access to your networks, you know, upon termination of employment, you know, things of that nature? As I said, there there can be some uh, drilling down by by the carriers as to the third party vendors that you're using, and um, you know, like asking the asking the uh, potential insurer to identify 
you know, uh, which which vendors they're using and for what purpose. And then, you know, that can provide, on that actuarial point, that, that can provide good information, you know, to the insurance company in the event that something happens, um, you know, knowing you know, knowing that, you know, a certain, a, a certain third-party service provider is being used by X number of their insureds. Um, all, any of this type of information can be super valuable in, in um, you know, appropriately insuring and uh, pricing uh, uh, these products and, and, and getting, you know, getting the right limits in place that protect the insured and also protect the insurance company. I had um, at an online event, of course, I guess they've all been online events for the past two, <laughs> two years, but at a recent um, online event, it was very interesting because, you know, you talked about uh, how much information that people hold and that's a factor and all that. Well, I was uh, at an event and, and uh, one of the attendees said, well, we don't hold any of our our data. This was a, um, a, ho- a small hospital system. And of course, they have all sorts of protected health information, you know, under HIPAA and lots of health data and so on. But they viewed themselves as not holding that data because they outsourced it to a managed service provider. And I was thinking, hmm, that seems like a very um, risky opinion to take because just because they've at- they're using a managed service provider, I mean, that doesn't mean that they aren't responsible for that data, right, as far as insurance companies go? Well, you know, um, I think, you know, under a lot of uh, under a lot of privacy type of laws, you know, you can you can delegate some tasks around this information, but you're not you can't really delegate the responsibility, you know, the legal responsibility for the data. So that's that's kind of a that's kind of an aside. But if you if you're if you're not holding the data, if the insured is not the insured enterprise is not holding the information on its information system. It's going to be really important for them when they look at their insurance policy to see if there's coverage for data being held by a third party. There's mm-hmm. usually something in the policy policy that will say. Um, we will cover you for incidents like a security incident impacting uh, your computer system or the computer system of a third party that's holding your data pursuant to a written contract with you, something hmm. like that. Now, there, I have seen insurance policies that will say, instead of saying a third party that holds your information, um, it may say an independent contractor that's holding your information, or it may say um, uh, an independent, what was the other phrase I saw? Independent contractor and then individual contractor. Yeah, the term individual contractor is defined as a natural person. And I think that the term independent contractor can be defined as a matter of state law as an independent, as as an individual person. So if you're a company that, like, like the hospital you were describing, Rebecca, Uh and, and they have all their data outsourced to, to somebody else for hosting, and they have a provision in their insurance policy that says, um, you're covered for data on your computer network and on a computer network of an of an individual contractor with whom you have a contractual relationship. 
The question will be, is that third party an individual contractor, as that term is defined in the policy? And sounds from your example like it would not be. You know, if it's yeah. a managed service provider, that's not a natural person. So yeah. that's a so really that key a point. Very, um, yeah, well, I was going to say, that you, makes it really important to know the type of cyber insurance you have, right? I mean, to know the details, I mean, what works for your organization for cyber insurance might not work for your friend who's from a completely different type of organization with regard to getting the the correct or the most value from your cyber insurance. Well, if your listeners remember anything that we say during this presentation, what you just said should be it. That is, that is a really, you see, you didn't need me on the show. (laughs) That is a really, (laughs) that is a really important point. Um, I, I've written a couple of eBooks on cyber insurance and the first one is called, um, demystifying cyber insurance, five steps to getting the right coverage. That is step number one. Step number one is, uh, knowing what your, your unique cyber and privacy risk profile is. You have to know because you may not want to pay for third-party coverage if you don't have a third party holding your data. You know, why pay for it? But if you, if they are holding it, you definitely need that coverage. And so it's incumbent on insured to read the policies. I know everybody groans when I say that, but you really do, or hire somebody to read it for you. Um, you know, have a you know a good broker who who will read the policy and understand what it says and understand what your risk profile is, and and try to make sure that matches up. You can hire a lawyer to do that for you. I'm, I'm and I say that uh, with full honesty that I don't even do that type of work because I work for insurance companies, and uh, so this is really from the heart advice. Um, you know, consider hiring an insurance lawyer. I would say more so than a privacy lawyer or a cybersecurity lawyer, I would look for an insurance lawyer who understands cyber and privacy because mm. insurance contracts are very, very specialized contracts, as, as you're probably picking up from this discussion. And, and so, um, you know, somebody who really can read that form and try to maximize, you know, the coverage, um, especially in light of your unique cyber and privacy risk profile. Yes. Well, I think a lot of people, when they hear about cyber insurance, even if they're, you know, a CEO of a company, they might relate that to something they insurance that they know, like um, even liability insurance. And it's completely different. And like you're saying, um, it, it different coverages for different types. So let's say there's... Um, there's an accounting office with, you know, just a couple of people have an accounting office and they keep all of their data locally on their hard drives. They don't have anything stored in a cloud or online. They do share data via email uh, and we'll say that they encrypt it to show that they're trying. Um, But They'd still probably need cyber insurance, wouldn't they? I, I I think I've some you know small businesses think, well, I don't I don't use a cloud and I don't do this or that, so I don't need cyber insurance. But if they use a computer, don't they need cyber insurance? 
Yes, and anybody who uses a computer, anyone who has an employee, you know, anyone who has any information, even paper, even paper that has protected information on it, um, really, really should strongly consider the coverage. And, the, and those small businesses in particular um, uh, really benefit from the coverage because they don't have the capabilities typically to respond and potentially survive mm-hmm. uh, a cyber or privacy incident. And it could be, it could be an, ex, it, it is an existential threat for small businesses. And so, you know, the, the benefits that you could get from the policy, if you get, if you get the right policy in place, uh, are even more important in my view for many small and mid-sized businesses. But, um, yeah, absolutely. There, there's no company now that does not have one of these risks. These are, you know, so many of these uh, cyber incidents are, are crimes of opportunity or, or just plain old mistakes, you know, that your, your employees may make. Um, nobody is immune. And, and another thing to think about, and there's coverage available for this, even if you don't you, you think you're somewhat immune from a cyber incident. If your business, if you're dependent on business partners to to run your business, and your business partner has a cyber incident and they can't service you, mm-hmm. um, you could be in big trouble. You know, uh, you could be out of luck. So if you think about, um, let's think about Colonial Pipeline. You know that ransomware yes. event uh, a, a couple of months ago. Uh, you may recall the, the news stories about all these service stations that could not operate then because they weren't getting their gas from from Colonial Pipeline. So there's a certain type of coverage called um, dependent or consequential business interruption coverage that might be able to help in a situation like that. If if your if your business partner has the incident, you never have the incident. But because of their incident, you're you're losing money. Your business income is down. Um, there's coverage even for those types of things. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's something that literally every business now should um, take a very hard look at. Yeah, well, at the top of the show, you know, you had started, and I interrupted you to, to get off on actuarial, but you started to talk about the different types of insurances and I think let's go back to that because what you're talking about it it sounds like different types of of coverages so maybe what are the different types of coverages and um what do you need to consider like what they in what they cover the the circumstances yeah so on yeah that's that's a really important um question um it's Cyber insurance policies are a bit like a menu in a diner. You know, you kind of go in there and, and, you know, oftentimes you can kind of just pick and choose the the coverages that you want. And, again, you know, based on your risk profile, you want to carefully consider which coverage you need. But you can typically break the coverage into two parts, one one called first-party coverage and those are costs that the the insured company would incur uh, because of a cyber or privacy event. So these are not, you know, being sued by somebody else. Uh, these are the company's own costs when an event happens. So let's think about uh, the most basic thing, like a data breach. So you know, the company has a data breach. 
Driver insurance policies routinely provide um, incident response services to the company. Um, what that often means is they have a, a panel of of service providers who do this for a living. They, they don't do anything but respond to cyber and privacy incidents. Typically, it's, it's headed up by an attorney, uh, a breach counsel, sometimes called a breach coach. Um, that's, a, that's a lawyer that handles these events, and they know what the laws are, they know what the regulations are, they know who the regulators are, and what they do is kind of quarterback this team of professionals, if you need them, uh, to manage, try to mitigate the the impact of the incident, both on the you know, the technical side and the financial side and, um, and the legal side and try to get, get it resolved as quickly as possible. So that team of service providers would also include uh, forensic investigators, you know, the guys who come in and, and actually see what happened, try to remediate the situation. If you have to give notice to consumers under uh, state, uh, in, in the United States, we have these uh, breach notification laws. Each state has one. And depending on the data that's impacted, you might have to provide notice to consumers about the incident. There could be public relations services that the insured is entitled to as well. So it's a nice suite of services by um, you know, these professional panels that um, help you deal with and resolve the incident uh, quickly. There's also coverage for cyber extortion, you know, ransomware. So not just paying the ransom, but investigating and negotiating with, with, the, with the bad guys, restoring data. Um, if, 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 if you need to do that, um, I mentioned before, um, contingent business interruption, but, uh, for the enterprise itself, there's also, um, uh, just your own first party business interruption. So if you have a, a DDoS situation or a ransomware situation where you're knocked offline, uh, there could be coverage for your lost income and extra expenses that you incur in trying to deal with this situation. So those are a really valuable group of coverages that are typically available. And then that's on the first-party side. And then on the third-party side, that's coverage for, you know, if you get sued or claims against you. So let's say, you know, think of the, think of the um, like the big retail data breaches from a few years ago, and all the consumers would sue in a class action, um, th- that type of lawsuit. Um, if you get in trouble with the regulators, the regulators want to investigate you and maybe fine you, there could be coverage for those expenses as well. If you have a credit card incident and PCI, which is the industry organization that, that kind of handles standards around credit cards and how you're using that data and implementing it, uh, the technology, um, uh, they can investigate and fine you. There's also coverage for media content, so content on your website or on uh, social media. There's, there's coverage for that. And then a lot of cyber insurers also make available crime coverage, so coverage for uh, social engineering, you know, phishing type of incidents. You, know, you, get the, you get the email saying, you know, oh, we have, you know, from your vendor saying, you know, uh, please change our, our bank account information, wire the money here instead of there. Uh, that type of thing. There could be coverage for that or for telephone fraud. 
So it's nice, nice suite of coverages available, but the devil is in the details. You really need to dig in and see, um, you know, exactly what the coverage is. I'll give a quick example. So if you look at cover at policy A, and they say we cover, we provide regulatory coverage, and policy B says we provide regulatory coverage, and you say that's great. They must be the same. Well. If you look in the definitions and the insuring agreements and the policy, you may see that one defines, you know, limits the regulatory coverage to a data breach or security event, where another policy may say we're going to provide coverage for those things, but also for any violation of any cyber or privacy law or regulation anywhere in the world. And under those laws, there's a lot of exposure now. Mm-hmm. Even if you never have a data breach or security incident, for example, you didn't provide the proper notices, your privacy policy had a misstatement, or you collected information you weren't supposed to collect, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. the devil's in the details. Um, read the policy. Again, not everybody needs the most extensive coverage, uh, but if you need, if you do have the risk, you, you want to try to make sure you get the right coverage for it. Yeah, so many good um, recommendations there. I'm wondering, I one of the other things I do, I've been an expert witness for many different cases, and one, and I can talk about it because these situations sadly have happened so, so often, but it involved a, a huge organization with an IoT type of device that had their, um, they contracted a, a call center to handle their calls for them. And bottom line is um, a stalker of one of the IoT device users um, social engineered the way into the IoT device portal and was able to track down the victim and assaulted the victim. And so when I was doing the case, I was reviewing the, the data from the call center, their policies, their procedures, and all of that. And and it was ultimately settled um, out of court by the insurance company. So I'm thinking, wow, so insur- their cyber insurance, I, was, I don't know if it was their cyber insurance or maybe a different type of insurance, but like does even – Cyber insurance cover situations where harm, actual harm comes to somebody like a a customer or a a patient or somebody like that as a result of maybe social engineering or, you know, taking advantage of human vulnerabilities, I guess you can say. Well, you know, it's 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 really hard to say what you know what policy was implicated in the action that you were involved with. Um, it sounds like it was probably not a cyber insurance policy, mm. but um, you know, who knows? You'd have to see see read the complaints and and read the policies and and see. But I, I can tell you that there are some some cyber insurers that provide. Certain levels of coverage for bodily injury or property damage arising from a cyber incident. Oh. Um, it's it's not extremely common. You kind of have to, you know, but you, you have to look for it in the marketplace if you if you have that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there could be some coverage available for that type of thing. Um, and you know, it's not such a stretch these days um, oh. to think about 
You know, uh, if you if, think about a factory, you know, a manufacturing site where they're using lots of robotics and um, connected devices, like you say, IoT devices to do things. And if there's some type of a, a cyber uh, attack on those devices and they malfunction, it's not a stretch to, to envision bodily injury or property damage arising from that. I wrote an article with a friend of mine. Boy, it has to be, oh, I don't know, eight years ago or so, describing what we call the silent cyber risk, um, meaning privacy and cyber exposures manifesting under non-cyber policies. And we gave an example of somebody hacking into um, uh, the flight control system of an airplane in flight and yes. the flight crashing. And uh, we made quite the hypothetical, Rebecca, around what happened when that plane landed. Um uh, but, you know, I think we had it hit a hospital or something, but, you know, <laughs> but you can see you can see how, um, you know, how a cyber incident can have these kind of massive catastrophic catastrophic yeah. uh, impacts, you know, much more so than just having to give notice to, um, you know, consumers that their credit card was stolen, you know, uh, that type of thing. Yeah, well, I'm wondering, too, with COVID and so many people moving to work from home. What happens when incidents occur in home offices? Uh, because, um, oh, shoot, we're getting down close to the end of our show. Already, Judy, this this went by way oh, too man. quick. Well, uh, I'll follow up with you um, offline because I do want to get your, your last question uh, of the show here about a key point or a lesson. You Oh, before I do this, though. Say the name of that ebook again and where people can find it. It was Demystifying. A Demystifying Cyber Insurance. Um, it's on Amazon, but uh, if your listeners want to reach out to you, Rebecca, I'd be happy to uh, send you a PDF and then you can um, provide it to your, any listeners who want it. Oh, wow. Well, that's very generous. Thank you so much. Appreciate that because I want to read it too. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I haven't read it yet. So now in the last uh, couple of minutes here, what is the key point or lesson that you want our listeners to take away from our discussion today? Okay, well, I'll go down those five points from the book real quick. Uh, the number one, um, in order to get the right insurance, know what your cyber and privacy risk profile is. You know, have a have um, uh, a security assessment done, maybe by a third party. Have a privacy assessment done. Uh, you know, if you're handling data that's subject to um, some type of laws, regulations, um, uh, you need to know that. Uh, look at your existing insurance portfolio. See if you have some cyber coverage attached to another policy that you don't even realize that you have. Uh, we see that all the time. Um, when you are filling out your application or communicating with an insurance company about getting coverage, especially in this hard market, start that process early. Assemble the right team of people who will have the knowledge necessary to respond to the questions you're going to get from the insurance company and respond truthfully, honestly, wholesomely uh, to the carrier. Have a good dialogue around that. And then make sure you match up the coverage that you get with your risk profile and get the, get the right coverage for your needs. And then once you get the policy, do not put it on the shelf. Read it, understand it, know what your obligations under the policy for providing notice are, for hiring um, a, a third party in the event of 
of, of an incident, you may need to hire uh, the pre-approved vendors on the insurance company panel rather than, you know, your friend down the hallway from you, uh, wow. things of that nature, and read the policy from beginning to end. Very important. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Judy. You provided such great information. My pleasure, Rebecca. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, uh, enjoyed it greatly. Today I've been speaking with Judy Selby, partner at Kennedy's New York office and cyber insurance expert about many important topics that businesses need to know about cyber insurance. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Let me know. Send me a message, Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you can't listen to the debut show, and, and we filmed today on uh, August 20th, if you are looking up about that Chinese law uh, mentioned earlier, by the way. But um, if uh, you can't make the original show, you can hear all my shows on demand. Uh, Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for if they're doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. And have they read their cyber insurance from cover to cover? They need to be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.